0: Hello listeners, as an enhancement to your listening experience, I am now going to present these archive episodes unedited in their entirety, which includes all of my afterthoughts. So, continue listening after the outro music if you want to hear what I thought of the episode. And, if you are enjoying the podcast, please support it by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. And now I can also accept Zelle and Venmo. Just use my email address, spacerockethistory at gmail.com. Thanks. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
1: you speed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. I feel Okay, I'm not. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last, huh? When that baby lights, there's no doubt about it. Lift off. We have a lift off. Thirty-two minutes past the hour. Lift off on Apollo 11. Listen, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for
0: Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis and you're listening to episode 228 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 11, The Return.
2: This is Apollo Control at 130 hours, 46 minutes. That uh, command module separation maneuver, which occurred at 130 hours, 30 minutes, was a two foot per second retrograde uh, burn. Burn duration was seven seconds. Uh, The flight dynamics officer reports that uh, at trans-Earth injection, uh, which is scheduled to occur, as per the flight plan, at about 135 hours, 25 minutes, uh, and at that time the uh, CSM will be about 20 miles ahead of the LM and about one mile below.
0: The next critical event in the Apollo 11 mission was the trans-Earth injection burn, also known as TEI. It was scheduled for 135 hours, 23 minutes, mission elapsed time. The burn involved firing the big service propulsion engine for two and a half minutes on the back side of the moon. The burn would consume five tons of propellant and add a bit over 3,000 feet per second to the command module's velocity, which was just the right amount to break the bond of lunar gravity and put the astronauts on a trajectory which would slice through the Earth's atmosphere two and one-half days later. It was scheduled for just after midnight Houston time, but the crew was keyed up from the events of the day and asked Capcom if the burn could be completed one revolution early. But Mission Control wanted to stick to the original schedule. Clear, and clear Charlie. What?
1: Uh... What number are you looking at uh, for a TEI tick? Preliminary 135 hours, 23 minutes, something like that? Uh, that's affirmative. Mike, uh, we're looking at about nominal time. We considered it kicking it up a rev, but uh, we don't think uh, this rev's uh, tracking is going to be any good since we had the RCS burn, and uh, so we need some uh, more tracking to get a get you a good TE hour. That's what we're looking
0: for. All right, sir. Waiting for the schedule burn was not a big disappointment for the crew. They would just have more time to get ready. The interlude gave Mission Control some time to chat with the astronauts. Capcom Charlie Duke asked Mike Collins, how does it feel up there to have some company? Uh
1: how's it feel up there to have some company? Damn good, I'll tell you. Uh, I bet uh, I bet you almost be talking to yourself up there after ten rounds or so. No, no, it's a happy home up here. It'd be nice to have uh, some company. Be, matter of fact, it'd be nice to have a couple uh, hundred million Americans up here. Right, so they were with you in Just spirit. Can they for their money? Right, uh, they were with you in spirit anyway, at least that many.
0: A little later, Charlie Duke read some congratulatory messages to the crew. Even the Soviets weighed in.
1: Congratulatory messages on the Apollo 11 mission have been pouring into the White House from world leaders in a steady stream all day. Among the latest are telegrams from Prime Minister Harold Wilson of Great Britain and the King of Belgium. The world's press has been dominated by news of Apollo 11. Some newsmen estimate that more than 60% of the news used in papers across the country today concern your mission. The New York Times, which we mentioned before, has had such a demand for its edition of the paper today, even though it ran 950,000 copies, that it will reprint the whole thing on Thursday as a souvenir edition. And uh, Premier Alexei Kosygin has sent congratulations to you and President Nixon through former Vice President Humphrey, who is visiting Russia. The cosmonauts have also issued a statement of congratulations. Humphrey quoted Kosygin as saying, I want you to tell the President and the American people that the Soviet Union desires to work with the United States in the cause of peace.
0: Then Duke read a note from the wife of Robert Goddard. Recall that Goddard was a true spaceflight pioneer. He launched the first liquid-fueled rocket. Unfortunately, he passed away in 1945 and did not live long enough to see Apollo 11's accomplishments.
1: And Mrs. Robert Goddard said today that her husband would have been so happy, he wouldn't have shouted or anything, he would just have glowed. She added that was his dream, sending a rocket to the moon.
0: Apollo 11 was now nearing the far side of the moon and loss of signal with Houston.
2: The crew has a goal for the trans-Earth injection at the beginning of the 31st revolution, and all systems on the spacecraft are looking very good at this point. You heard Capcom Charlie Duke advise Mike Collins that uh, we'll reacquire the spacecraft on the other side of the moon Uh, with the burn at a ground elapsed time of 135 hours 34 minutes and 5 seconds. Uh, Without the burn we would reacquire at 135 hours 44 minutes 3 seconds.
1: Apollo 11 Houston. One minute to LOS. Go Sikkim. Thank you, sir. We'll do it.
0: As Apollo 11 eased around the western edge of the moon, hopefully for the last time, the astronauts ran through their last-minute checks prior to igniting the SPS engine. Once again, there was no room for error. They had only one chance to get it right. If the burn failed, they would share the fate of the lunar module. They worked very carefully, with meticulous attention to every last detail More than anything else, the direction they were pointing concerned them. With all their sophistication and all the confirmed numbers in their computer, they still wanted to see the direction they were heading for themselves. But that was difficult to do because they didn't return to sunlight until a few minutes before ignition. Then Colin said, I see the horizon. It looks like we're going forward. Neil answered, Shades of Jiminy referring to the care they used to take with Gemini retrofire burns to get out of orbit. Neil was in the center couch now, with the computer. Buzz was over on the right side with the fuel cells and other electrical instruments. Collins was in the left couch, and he would fly Columbia, in the sense that he could take over manually if the automatic steering failed, or he could shut down the engine, or handle various other problems that might arise. Buzz read the checklist and Collins threw the switches as he called them out. Neil commented, Just about midnight in Houston town. Buzz reported, Okay, coming up on about two minutes. Collins confirmed that the horizon was in the perfect position in his window. Buzz counted the last few seconds. Five, four, three, two. And when the engine lit, Collins replied, Burn. A good one. Nice. Pressures are good. Busy in steering, but it's holding right in there. Ten seconds later, Buzz asked for details on the burn. How is it, Mike? Collins reported, It's pretty busy in roll, but it's holding in its dead band. It's possible we have a roll thruster problem, but if we have, it's taking it out. No point in worrying about it. Coming up on one minute, chamber pressure's holding right on a hundred. Gimbal's looking good. Total attitude looks good. Rates are damped out. Still a little busy. How's that nitrogen pressure, okay? Yes, Neil replied. Collins continued. Good. Two minutes. Okay, the chamber pressure is falling off a little bit. It's not going back up. Chamber pressure's oscillating just a tad. Brace yourself. Standing by for engine off. It seemed to Collins that the engine was not shutting down on schedule. According to the procedure... Collins would allow the engine two extra seconds and then shut it down manually if another gauge confirmed that they had been burning 40 feet per second too much. But the other gauge was changing numbers so fast, Collins couldn't really make that determination properly. But when the two seconds were up, he flipped two switches and the engine shut down. The astronauts were weightless again. The computer said the burn was perfect and the crew was on their way home. Collins said out loud, Beautiful burn. SPS, I love you. You are a jewel. Then Buzz led the crew through the checklist again, this time turning off all the switches they turned on for the burn, and then they got out the cameras and started taking pictures of the lunar surface. Just then the earth came into view, and the crew heard Charlie Duke's unmistakable Carolina accent.
1: Hello, Apollo 11. Houston, how did it go? Over. Help open up the LRL doors, Charlie. Roger. We got you coming home. It's well stocked. Okay, burn status. Health stick was zero. Burn time was two plus three zero. Fuel, one zero point six. Hawks, one zero point four. Unbalanced, minus five zero. Roger. Copy, Neil. Sounds good to us. And Apollo 11, Houston, uh, your all your systems look uh, real good to us. We'll keep you posted. Roger. Thank you, Charlie. Boy, looking
0: good here. That was a beautiful burn. They don't come any finer. Roger. The LRL that they spoke of was the Lunar Receiving Laboratory. Once the trans-Earth injection maneuver was done... The astronauts could watch the moon getting smaller and smaller through the windows of the command module. And the good news was, Apollo 11 knew the way. Apollo's 8 and 10 had locked the flight path for Apollo 11's computer. It would take two and a half days to make it back to Earth. It took three to get to the moon, but their return trajectory was faster. The crew approached the moon from the west and entered that eerie shadow zone that made it appear like a ghostly globe, with a illuminated rim, but barely discernible surface. As they left the moon, it was just as impressive, but in a totally different way. They departed from its eastern side, and it glared brilliantly in the sunlight. They could see it all now, from pole to pole, and edge to edge, and they could clearly differentiate between the maria and the highlands. Mike Collins' next concern, of course, was the accuracy of their return to Earth trajectory.
1: Go ahead, 11, over. How's tracking look, or is it too early to tell? Stand by, Mike. Apollo 11, Houston. FITOs uh, are looking at the data. It's uh, too early to tell yet exactly. Uh, it's looking real good so far. We'll have you uh, some answers uh, shortly on uh, trajectory, over.
0: At this point, all three astronauts had been awake for a long time, so the next call from Houston came from the boss, Deke Slayton.
1: Follow eleven, Houston. Go ahead, Houston. All right, eleven. This is the uh, Regional Capcom. Congratulations on an outstanding job. You guys have really put on a great show up there. I think it's about time you power down and got a little rest, however, You've had a mighty long day here. Hope you're all going to get a good sleep on the way back. I look forward to seeing when you get back here. Don't uh, fraternize with any of those bugs and roots, except for the Hornet. Okay, thank you, boss. Well, uh, we're looking forward to a, to a little rest and a restful trip back, and uh, see what on can do.
0: Right, right, you've earned it. But before they could sleep, Collins had to put the spacecraft into its broadside roll rotisserie mode, to distribute the sun's heat evenly.
1: Eleven, Houston, you did great work there. We're ready to spin it up, over.
0: And then they could finally go to sleep.
1: Team, did you good night? We'll see you tomorrow, over. Hi, Charlie. Thank you. Hi, Charlie, thank you. Adios. Adios. Thanks again for a great show, you guys. Thanks for a great job down there. This is Apollo control at 137 hours, 52 minutes. Apollo 11 crew has signed off for the night, starting a long, well-deserved rest period. Duration of the rest period is programmed for 10 hours. However, the wake-up time is not critical. It's very likely uh, we'll let them sleep till, uh, till they wake up uh, of their own accord.
0: That first night, returning home, proved to be the best night of sleep Neil, Mike, and Buzz had during their mission. Just in case there was a problem while all three slept, there was a loud, fire station-style clanger alarm to wake them if needed. But that didn't happen. The flight director permitted the whole crew to sleep for eight and a half hours until noon on Tuesday, mission control time. When the astronauts awoke, they found their ship back in the grip of Earth's gravity, a point 44,620 miles from the moon and 200,100 miles from Earth. Houston began the astronauts' seventh day with some news. Among other things, President Nixon would be watching their entry into Earth's atmosphere from the bridge of the USS Hornet. When Collins heard the news, he felt his stomach muscles tighten. Because there was just one critical maneuver left, and with the President of the United States there to watch, he surely did not want to screw it up. On the way to the moon, the flight plan called for four adjustments, or mid-course corrections, and three on the return trip. In fact, they required only one mid-course correction to get to the moon, and they would require only one to get home. The burn was scheduled for 150 hours, 29 minutes, mission elapsed time. This would be a small burn, just 11 seconds, of firing using the small reaction control system thrusters. The burn was planned to change Columbia's velocity by 4.8 feet per second, out of a total of 4,075 feet per second. Everyone wanted to stay absolutely in the center of the entry corridor, which meant slicing back into the atmosphere at an angle of 6.5 degrees below the horizon. Too shallow, and Columbia would skip off the atmosphere. Too steep, and the astronauts burn up. Collins' goal was not to deviate by more than one one hundredth of a degree in either direction.
2: Eleven Houston, we're standing by for
1: your burn. Everything's looking good from down here. Thank you, Bruce. You got about minute and twenty seconds. Roger, we can curve.
2: One minute now until uh, mid-course correction number five. That will be a 10.9 second burn of the spacecraft reaction control system thrusters, uh, giving a change of velocity retrograde of 4.8 feet per second. The uh, primary purpose of this maneuver will be to uh, control the spacecraft uh, flight path angle at entry interface. We're now less than 30 seconds uh, from the uh, initiation of the burn. They should be burning at this time. We sh- show the burn off. That mid course correction was performed uh, at a distance of about 169,000 nautical miles from the Earth. The spacecraft velocity 4,075.6 feet per second. Our uh, telemetry data here on the ground shows that uh, mid course correction maneuver uh, just about nominal, burn duration 10.5 uh, seconds. Prior to the maneuver, we were predicting a splashdown time of 195 hours, 17 minutes, 25 seconds. Uh, we expect there will be some uh, modification to that after we've had a chance to do some tracking uh, following this mid course correction maneuver.
0: A few hours after the successful burn, a live prime time TV broadcast to Earth was scheduled.
1: Apollo 11 Houston, we're ready for the. TV we're all configured uh,
0: at your convenience, over. Neil wanted to show the moon rocks that he had collected, but he couldn't, so he showed the vacuum sealed containers that held the rocks.
1: We know there's uh, a lot of scientists from uh, a number of countries standing by to see the lunar samples and uh, we thought you'd be interested in seeing that they really are here. Uh, these two boxes are the sample return containers. They they are vacuum packed uh, containers that were closed in a vacuum on the lunar surface, sealed, and then uh, brought inside the lab and put inside uh, these fiberglass bags, zippered and resealed around the outside around the outside, and placed in these. Uh, receptacles in the side of the command module. These are the two boxes. And uh, as soon as we uh, get onto the ship, I'm sure these uh, boxes will immediately be uh, transferred uh, and uh, delivery started to the letter-receiving laboratory. Uh, these boxes include the samples of the various types of rock the uh, ground mass of the soil, the sand and silt, and uh, the uh, particle collector for the solar wind experiment, and uh, the core tubes that
0: took uh, depth samples of the lunar surface. Buzz did a demonstration of food preparation, culminating with him putting ham spread on a piece of bread. Then he spun a small can in midair demonstrating the principle of gyroscopic action.
1: Uh, more mundane affairs now that we've left the moon, I'd like to uh, trace through a little bit for you. Development has taken place in the uh, food department. I'm sure you've only type of a uh, drink container. Now, a little later, Mike will show you how the uh, water gun uh, operates, with its new uh, filter to take out the hydrogen. Essentially, this butter gun is put in, in this end and filled up this bag with water, and the uh, drink then uh, dissolves in the water, and uh, this end of the outfeeding. feeding. Uh, likewise, we have uh, other foods that are more solid nature. You can probably see this uh, shrimp cocktail meal this afternoon while the two of us had uh, salmon salad. These bite-sized objects were designed to uh, uh, remove the problem of having so many crumbs floating around in the cabin. So they designed a particular size that uh, would be able to uh, go into the mouth all at once. I think since uh, all of our experience, we've discovered that we can uh, progress a good bit further than that back to uh, some of the type meals that uh, we have on Earth. As a matter of fact, on this flight, we've carried along pieces of bread and uh, along with the bread we have uh, a, a ham spread. We can also use uh, zero gravity to demonstrate uh, many things we've all learned in school. I'd like to demonstrate uh, briefly uh, how easy it is to explain the action of a gyroscope. Uh, if I spin this can, we know that, uh, according to the uh, equations of uh, uh, motion, that we would expect that if once this is given a spin about and has a spin axis in this direction, if we give it a particular torque, if I, I'll do this by pushing my hands against it in this fashion once it's spinning. By the equations, we can predict that as I put this torque on it, it will in fact rotate this direction. as I apply the torque this way, it rotated this way.
0: Mike filled a spoon with water and turned it upside down to demonstrate weightlessness.
1: Houston, this next is a little demonstration for the kids at home, all kids everywhere for that matter. Uh, I was going to show you how you drink water out of a spoon, but I'm afraid I fill the spoon too full, and uh, if I'm not careful, I'm going to spill water right over the sides. Can you can you see the water slapping around in the top of the spoon, kids? That's primitive 11. Okay, well, as I say, I was going to show you, but... I'm afraid I filled it too full, and it's going to spill over the side. I tell you what, I'll just, I'll just turn this one over and uh, get rid of the water and start all over again, okay? Okay. And you can see up here, we don't know where over is. Uh, one uh, up is as good as another. That really is water, though, I'll tell you.
0: As this quiet seventh day approached its end, the crew packed up the TV camera, and queried Houston about the weather in the recovery area. For now, the weather was adequate in the mid-Pacific. Apollo 11's 8th day began at 168 hours, 3 minutes, elapsed time. Now they had one full day left in space as re-entry was scheduled for the morning of the ninth day at 195 hours. At this point of the mission with the splashdown growing ever closer. The weather in the recovery area was of great interest to the crew. Uh,
1: 11 uh, Houston, uh, present forecast uh, shows acceptable conditions in your recovery area. Uh, 2,000 foot scattered, high scattered. Uh, Wind from uh, 070 degrees, one three knots. Visibility at 10 miles and uh, sea state about uh, four feet. Uh, The uh, forecast uh, yesterday showed a a tropical storm, Claudia, uh, some 500 to 1,000 miles east of Hawaii. Uh, Yesterday there was also a report of a tropical storm, Viola, uh, further to the west. Uh, Its present location is uh, some 1,000 miles uh, east of the Philippines and uh, moving northwest. Uh, Tropical storm, uh, Viola, has been intensifying and uh, should uh, be... uh, transferred to the typhoon category within the next uh, 12 hours
0: or so. Houston also mentioned that Apollo 11 would be landing 10 minutes before sunrise. Neil acknowledged and recalled another night landing in the Pacific, his and Dave Scott's hair-raising night return aboard Gemini 8. He wasn't too thrilled about repeating that. About an hour later... It was time for the crew of Apollo 11 to make their final TV broadcast. This time, each astronaut thought out carefully what they wanted to say to the world. Mike Collins went first, then Buzz, and last, Neil. Roger,
1: this trip of ours to the moon may have looked to you simple or easy. I'd like to assure you that that has not been the case. The Saturn V rocket which put us into orbit is an incredibly complicated piece of machinery, every piece of which works flawlessly. This computer up above my head has a 38,000-word vocabulary, each word of which has been very carefully chosen to be of the utmost value to us, the crew. This switch, which I have in my hand now, has over 300 counterparts in the command module alone. There's one single switch design. In addition to that, there are a myriad of circuit breakers, levers, rods, and other associated controls. The SPS engine, our large rocket engine on the aft end of our service module, must have performed flawlessly or we would have been stranded in lunar orbit. The parachutes up above my head must work perfectly tomorrow or we will plummet into the ocean. We have always had confidence that all this equipment will work and work properly, and we continue to have confidence that it will do so for the remainder of the flight. All this is possible only through the blood, sweat, and tears of a number of people. First, the American workmen who put these pieces of machinery together at the factory, Second, the painstaking work done by the various test teams during the assembly and the retest after assembly. And finally, the people at the Manned Spacecraft Center, both in management, in mission planning, in flight control, and last but not least, in crew training. This operation is somewhat like the periscope of a submarine. All you see is the three of us. But beneath the surface are thousands and thousands of others. And to all those, I would like to say thank you very much. Good evening. I'd like to discuss with you a few of the more symbolic aspects of the flight of our mission, Apollo 11. As we've been discussing the events that have taken place in the past two or three days here on board our spacecraft, we've come to the conclusion that this has been farm more and three men on a voyage to the moon. More still than the efforts of a government and industry team. More even than the efforts of one nation. We feel that this stands as a symbol of the insatiable curiosity of all mankind to explore the unknown. Neil's statement the other day upon first setting foot on the surface of the moon This is a small step for a man, but a great leap for mankind, I believe, sums up these feelings very nicely. We accepted the challenge of going to the moon. The acceptance of this challenge was inevitable. The relative ease with which we carried out our mission, I believe, is a tribute to the timeliness of that acceptance. Today, I feel we're fully capable of accepting expanded roles in the exploration of space. In retrospect, we have all been particularly pleased with the call signs that we very laboriously chose for our spacecraft, Columbia and Eagle. We've been particularly pleased with the emblem of our flight, depicting the U.S. Eagle, bringing the universal symbol of peace from the Earth, from the planet Earth, to the moon, that symbol being the olive branch, it was our overall crew choice to deposit a replica of this symbol on the moon. Personally, in reflecting the events of the past several days, a verse from the Psalms comes to mind to me. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? The responsibility for this flight lies first with, with history and with the giants of science who have preceded this effort, next to the American people who have through their will indicated their desire next to four administrations and their congresses for implementing that will. And then to the agency and industry team that built our spacecraft. The Saturn, the Columbia, the Eagle, and the little EMU, the spacesuit and backpack that was our small spacecraft out on the lunar surface. We'd like to give a special thanks to all those Americans who built those spacecraft, who did the construction, the design, the test, and put their their heart and all their abilities into those craft. To those people, Tonight, we give a special thank you. And to all the other people that are listening and watching tonight, God bless you. Good night from Apollo 11.
0: What a nice way to end the eighth day of the Apollo 11 mission. Except, a little later, Houston radioed an updated weather report for the recovery area, and it wasn't good.
1: And also, the uh, weather is clobbering in at our targeted uh, landing point uh, due to uh, scattered thunderstorms. We don't want to tangle with one of those, so we're going to uh, move your, your aim point uh, uprange, uh, correction to be downrange, to target for a 1,500 nautical mile entry, so we can guarantee uh, up uh, lift control. The new coordinates are... 13 uh, degrees, 19 minutes north, 169, 10 minutes west. Uh, the weather in that area is super. We got uh, 2,000 scattered, uh, 8,000 scattered with uh, 10 miles visibility and uh, 6 foot seas. And the Hornet is sitting in great position to get to uh, that targeted position. Over.
0: Roger. As you can tell from that unenthusiastic Roger, the weather problem was bad news. In Collins' training, he did not have any time to practice this type of re-entry. As long as the computer kept working, it was okay. Another 215 miles didn't make much difference. But, if Collins had to take over and fly it manually, that was different. To get that extra range, the command module was required to fly a great soaring arc after its initial penetration into the atmosphere. And the difference between soaring an extra 215 miles and skipping out of the atmosphere altogether was slim indeed. salutations from the Buckeye State. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode 228 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled, Apollo 11, The Return. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. I want to give a big shout-out to all my long-time listeners. Thanks for staying subscribed, and extend a warm welcome to my new listeners. I'm glad you're here. Make sure you sign up for the email list and connect with me on Twitter and Facebook. You can do all that, as well as download every episode of the podcast, on the homepage, spacerockethistory.com. In case you haven't heard, there is a new RSS feed for the first 20 episodes of the podcast. You can find it on the homepage on the right side of the page. This means the first 20 episodes are once again available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all your favorite podcatchers. To find these archive episodes, do a search for Space Rocket History Archive. Today, we salute the Orion donors. There are 21 Orion donors currently. Orion donors give $100 or more during the calendar year, and some a lot more. Thanks for your continued support, Orion donors. One other announcement I have is we are currently traveling, as you know, and my access to email, Twitter, and Facebook is sometimes limited. If you do need to contact me, the best way is by email, mike at Okay, I had a few afterthoughts about this week's episode. Did you notice that the audio clips were better quality on this episode? I'm sure you recall the lunar module was discarded last week, so now all three astronauts were in the command module for this episode. And it got better still as they got closer to Earth. Of course, there were no clips available for when they were on the far side, which is a disappointment, but I couldn't find any. This was a less intense episode because I wanted to reflect what was happening after the last major hurdle of trans-Earth injection. After the moon encounter, it was kind of a more relaxed atmosphere. Speaking of that trans-Earth injection maneuver, Neil didn't seem too concerned about it, while Collins, being a very responsible person, was really sweating it out. About two minutes before the burn, Neil made a strange off-topic comment like, About midnight in Houston town, which drove Collins nuts because he was trying to get everyone to focus on the trans-Earth injection burn. I guess, I guess, after you have landed on the moon, a trans-Earth injection burn doesn't seem as critical or risky, maybe. Throughout the whole mission, Mike Collins was very concerned about doing his command module pilot duties. And don't forget, he is the one who came up with the rendezvous recipe book. He was very prepared and responsible. I'm sure Neil was very reassured to have Collins as command module pilot. Do you remember back at the launch, I talked about someone delivering flowers to Mission Control before the launch. During the time frame covered by this episode, that is after the moon landing on the way home, another dozen roses was sent to Mission Control. Here's a bonus clip for that.
1: This is Apollo Control. While we're waiting for the television pictures to come in, we have in the control room here a vase full of long-stemmed red roses and a card saying, To one and all concerned, job superbly done from a moonstruck
0: Canadian. I thought that was a really nice gesture. Okay, I have posted some pictures and the audio for this episode on my homepage, spacerockethistory.com. I hope you check that out. I was very pleased to receive several new donations to support the podcast over the past week. Matthew R. from Arizona donated at the Soyuz level. George R. donated at the Soy, at the Salyut Skylab level. Mike S. donated at the Apollo level and earned his moon emoji. David N. donated at the Apollo level and earned his rocket emoji. Kent K. donated at the Apollo level. Jason D. pledged on Patreon at the Apollo level. And Tom O. pledged on Patreon at the Gemini level. That brings the Patreon total to 139, 11 short of the goal of 150 before the end of the year. And our overall donor total Has reached 265 with a goal of reaching 300 by the end of the year. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here and have not donated yet in 2017, please consider supporting the podcast if you're financially able. Space Rocket History is entirely listener funded, and I depend upon your financial support to keep the podcast going. You don't have to donate much, you can make a one time $10 donation at the Vostok level or sign up with Patreon for a small monthly donation, sort of like a voluntary subscription. Just go to the homepage, click on one of the links on the top right side of the page and begin your support of the Space Rocket History Podcast. For those of you who have already donated for 2017, I certainly appreciate it. I have an item to give away this week to one of the 2017 donors. It is the NASA 3 and one half inch in diameter meatball sticker. To select a winner, I gave each donor a number, put the range in Google's random number generator and got the number for Robert Myers. Robert, if you would email me, mike at spacerockethistory.com and tell me your address, I will mail this out to you. I have a few more of these big NASA meatball stickers so we can have another drawing for next week for the 2017 donor group. I want to encourage everyone to share the podcast. Feel free to link to the homepage or a particular episode on all social media, and thanks to those who have already done so. This is the end of content for this episode. You are welcome to stay and listen to my off-topic thoughts if you want. Thanks for sticking around, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Next week, I think, we will splash down Apollo 11, finally. (laughs) This one's really lasted a long time. But I think that's good. There's a whole lot of detail in there. And from what I hear from most of you, you want a lot of detail. So we got to Apollo 11 pretty detailed. In podcast news, I have another statistic. And this is the top 10 states of the United States for downloads in September. Number one, Washington State remains at number one. California remains at two. Texas remains at three. Virginia moves up to four. New York moves up to five. Oregon moves up to six. Ohio moves up to seven. The old North State remains at eighth. Florida is at nine. Illinois moves up to ten. want to give a big shout out to all the listeners in the top ten states for September. As I mentioned before, we're traveling now, and this is the first campground that has usable Wi-Fi available at my campsite. So I finally got those archive episodes posted for this month. So now there are 20 archive episodes that you can get. We have visited several places since the last episode, such as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, the NFL Hall of Fame, We visited President Hayes and President McKinley's memorial sites, Edison's birthplace, and the submarine, the USS Cod. None of these places have much to do with space or aviation, so I will spare you the details. I will say, the USS Cod was a vintage World War II sub that was really fun exploring. You got to go below deck and just look all over the place on that thing, from stem to stern. And, of course... I have wanted to go to the NFL Hall of Fame for a long time. Now, football is my favorite sport, and I enjoy the NFL and college football. It was uh, the, the Hall of Fame was like $25, I think, and it was $10 to park. So it wasn't a real cheap place, but it was really nice. Now, I'm planning to visit the John and Annie Glenn Museum this week, so maybe I can give a report on that. For the next episode. Okay, that's about all I have for this week. I hope to have episode 229 ready by next Thursday. So long for now.